Hi, everyone. Welcome to Lodestar's Lending Leaders. Uh, very excited to bring our first repeat guest, Regina Lowry. Um, she's CMB, President and CEO of Ditrex, as well as the first female chairperson of the MBA. Uh, for those of you who didn't listen to our first podcast uh, on Lodestar's Lending Leaders last March, I highly recommend it. We had a great conversation about all things mortgage related, um, but hopefully a lot more on the table for us to talk about still today. So, Regina, thanks so much for coming on. Oh, Jim, thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Um, so happy to have you. So a lot of stuff to talk about. I know we covered a lot last time, but even since March, uh, there's been a lot of changes um, in the world, lots of changes in the mortgage industry. Um, so I think there's going to be some interesting stuff for us to cover. I think we probably wanted to be a little further past COVID at the end of the day than we are. So, um, you know, there's one thing there, but um, the thing kind of getting a lot of coverage right now in the industry is cyber attacks. Still, obviously, ransomware, there was a major ransomware attack in the industry. I know that's something near and dear to your heart and you work on constantly in Dietrich. So why, what has been changing? Is this just a problem that was always looming and we're seeing more and more of it? Or there have been things happening that actually have increased the risk? Well, Jim, I think that, you know, clearly the rapid shift with remote working as a result of COVID, mm -hmm. I think has made our industry and probably a lot of major industries um, because it's not just been what we saw happen with CloudStar, mm -hmm. but with the pipeline uh, issue, uh, companies have become very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think a lot of that has to do with the remote workforce. And there was a recent report I was able to come across by cybersecurity ventures mm -hmm. that actually anticipates that cybercrime could top $6 trillion in mm -hmm. 2021. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it continues to be unrelenting. Um, I think the purchase market, and we know we see yeah. refis waning. Mm -hmm. So the purchase market also presents its own challenges because there are so many multiple parties in one transaction. You've got a lot of email traffic going back and forth. Um, I, I think that uh, the FBI hasn't put any interim statistics as it relates to wire fraud, but we've even seen at Dietrich the insurance market. So lenders are going to be seeing that for cyber uh, and E&O insurance. The numbers have increased because the insurance companies are seeing the tremendous risk in it. And when you look at ransomware, uh, recovery is very expensive. It's very arduous. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, if we want to talk about what should lenders be doing right now, mm -hmm. I think lenders really need to look at um, increasing um, remediating their systems. You know, mm -hmm. you hear constantly that systems are not updated um, frequently enough. Um, and, and people are not doing testing into the, their network to see whether or not their firewalls are, are strong enough. So something as simple as antivirus software and having the latest patches and things like that. The patches, the patches mm -hmm. and updating the systems. I mm -hmm. think, you know, that's the strongest thing I would recommend for lenders. And I think, you know, it, it go, all goes back to COVID again, because, right. You know, rates were at historical lows over the past year. Lenders are just trying to keep up with the volume. Um, they're continuing to try and reduce their costs by moving 
to more digital solutions. Mm -hmm. So the IT people maybe have taken their eye off the ball on that. Do you um, think that the that kind of fatigue has been part of the reason where you've seen an increase in cybercrime of just people trying to do so much in so many files? And even now in the summer, people are, are taking vacation. And I, I know from talking with you in the past that vacation time and out of office messages is actually a trigger that a lot of hackers look for. Yeah, and when as I mentioned before, in a purchase market, you and I have talked about this. Yeah. Um, the lender's network can be secure, but mm -hmm. everybody that they're communicating with, yep. i.e. the realtors, the closing agents that you're dealing with, mm -hmm. um, they're, most of them are operating on unsecured networks. And that's how mm -hmm. a lot of the cyber criminals, but as far as the ransomware is concerned, mm -hmm. that's, that's even a bigger issue. So I and think it's a wake up call for our industry. I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit more for the benefit of our listeners, the difference between ransomware and, you know, we'll call it garden variety wire fraud. Yeah. And the garden variety wire fraud is also very expensive, but right. and probably the, a lot more the, yeah, the difference is, I mean, it's what happened with CloudStar mm -hmm. and, and the impact it had on our industry that it was attacking, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of closing agents in this country right. that were shut down. Mm -hmm. to enable to do business, right? Mm -hmm. And um, wire fraud, that, that's, that's pretty, ransomware and, and ransom attacks are very sophisticated. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you right now that what we're seeing in wire fraud in an individual loan transaction is mm -hmm. pretty, pretty simple for these guys to do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, those that we've caught at Dytrix are uh, just simply somebody getting in to an email address and changing one, one letter in the email address. And as you mentioned, as busy as everyone is, they're, they're, they may not notice that. You know, they're trying, they're getting through end of month. There's, you know, working some of them uh, long hours, uh, late nights, weekends. And yeah, there is fatigue. I, I think that's a good way to put it. And so you really can't take your eye off the ball. And it's a wake up call, I think, for our industry. And I mean, a ransomware attack is a big ticket item because they're putting down a whole system and saying, you pay this money or none of your clients can work or your government can't work or whatever it is. But, right, right. Um, a successful wire fraud can get $5,000, $10,000, dollars even more for a single transaction. Um, yeah, I um, just one thing I saw even in um, this happened to my sister in a slightly different industry. She was um, going to a um, running a house on Nantucket for a bachelorette party. And they got an email from the from who they thought was the landlord, wired the money to someone else. And that deposit was just gone. And then they yeah. couldn't even hold the house. And there was issues there. But, you know, it's it's just crazy how people are able to identify transactions where money is changing hands like that yeah. and an opportunity um, for fraud. Yeah. yeah. And I think in our industry, mm -hmm. there's so much email communication, right? Mm -hmm. In just one loan transaction, mm -hmm. you know, whether you've got it from the realtor to the loan officer, yep. the loan officer to the realtor, and then the closing agent back and forth with the lender before closing, um, there's multiple, it's, it's not just one, you know, getting in at one spot, there's multiple opportunities. And sometimes there, those cyber criminals are in the transaction throughout the whole process. They don't just yeah. jump in at the end. They've been watching it. They know from point of sale when, 
the, you know, the agreement of sale is executed and that goes back and forth in emails. And you look at how you wait for the right time the day before closing, everything's gone. You know, the email, like I was saying before, if someone's out of office, you can email as the person who's covering for them out of right. the transaction. So, you know, timing. And honestly, if you're going to make 10 grand on one transaction, you can spend, you can spend some time doing it. So yeah, well, and yeah. and the, those that we've seen, yeah, and you can talk to the FBI. I mean, the average loan amount is, you know, depending on what part of the country, it could be anywhere from 250 to $350,000 alone, right? And the lender's wiring that money. And in most instances, um, a lot are validating it, or at least they believe they're validating it. But when you get that email, you don't know if the phone number yeah. on that email that you're calling to validate is actually the the closing agent's phone number. Mm-hmm. So, right. Uh, so always call the number online for the closing agent. Call the number you have before. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Have you seen lenders kind of tightening their criteria over the last few months for title agents? Like, what changes have you seen since we last spoke at Ditrix about what lenders are doing to you know really tighten up on these types of issues? Um, it, you know, it's really a mixed bag, Jim. I would I would say that you know most are collecting the ENO, but I recently talked to a lender who doesn't get the ENO because they rely on the CPL, mm-hmm. and um, and you know we've had an instance where the CPL was issued by an agent who wasn't covered by the underwriter. Right. So I mean, it, it, the lenders that that are taking it seriously are collecting the ENL. Mm-hmm. Um, they're validating the licenses in effect mm-hmm. in the state that they're closing the loan. Right. Uh, and then lastly, relying on that CPL um, mm-hmm. before they close the loan. Right. But the CPL is not going to help or the ENL if mm-hmm. there's a wire fraud. Mm-hmm. So if the lender wires or the warehouse bank wires the money to the wrong fraudulent account, Mm-hmm. Ne- neither the ENO or the CPL is going to cover that. Mm-hmm. So it's and so the only thing that can at that point is working with a company like Ditrix or being really able to make sure that wiring info is as up to date as possible and having a secure system in place. Yeah. To validate all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't always mean because a lender gets an email that the wiring instructions have changed that that's a fraudulent email. Yeah. Um, but but we validate the number and authenticate the identity of the individual before we even contact them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some closing agents have multiple bank accounts. So mm-hmm. you, you could have multiple bank bank accounts for the same closing agent. Um, it doesn't always mean it's fraud, but, but it, to answer your question, what am I seeing? Um, I see it go from one extreme to the other mm-hmm. where lenders are really taking it seriously. Yeah. And, um, and they're seeing that it is a daunting task mm-hmm. to manage hundreds, if not thousands of closing agents, because mm-hmm. the lender doesn't select the closing agent. That's, right. really, that's really the key, mm-hmm. right? You see that in your business, right, with Lodestar. I mean, the, the lender's finding out who the borrower selected for the closing agent, right? right? So it, it, it's not like they can, and, and then on top of that, You've got FHFA's um, uh, counterparty 
risk list that, you know, they basically have set up exclusionary lists of agents that, you know, are not able to be used. And a How lot does an of agent get on that list. That's something I'm not super familiar with. Um, you know, you're never going to know. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I'm, I say that because we scrub um, lenders, closing agents against OFAC and against the FHA uh, suspension list and counterparty list. And they're the lenders own exclusionary list. And we've, we've been told that when we can't qualify an agent because they are on that list, mm-hmm. that we can't tell them that. I mean, it's, you know, that's proprietary information and you've got to call the lender to find out. So, you know, chances are it, it's because there have been multiple incidences with problems with a particular closing agent. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be fraud. It could just be that they're not doing a good job at the closing table, right? And they're not following the lender's closing instructions. And then the lender can't sell the loan. And, you know, that's costly. They've got, the, they may have the loan locked with an investor or hedged in their pipeline. So they've got interest rate risk. I mean, there's multiple reasons why a lender could take a closing agent off of the list. And we don't usually become privy to that. Got it. Yep. Understood. One thing we've been seeing to your point on our end is um, the lists that title of title agents that lenders have are growing and growing, um, mainly because of the shift to the purchase market. So as right. the borrower, as a real estate agent can pick who does title, you're dealing with so many more companies and the risk just rises exponentially. That's actually one of the reasons that um, we partnered recently with Ditrex. One thing I know we're both really excited about yes. um, because I, we just got asked constantly of, can you make sure these people are verified? It's great to have their fees, but like, I need to know if they're valid. I need to know, you know, I can't just rely on my team to vet them. There's 800 people here. What can we do? Um, So I think that was just the adjacency and how those things kind of tied together, um, you know, made made a lot of sense. So we'd love to hear kind of more um, how you see the partnership working and, and kind of other things that you've been seeing from your end. Well, first of all, Jim, everyone here, including myself at Dietrix, is very excited about our partnership with you. Um, we're both dealing with lenders and closing agents. Mm-hmm. So it makes a tremendous amount of sense with the mm-hmm. synergies between what you're doing at Lodestar yeah. and what we're doing at Dietrix for us mm-hmm. to partner. So that's that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. What, what I believe is, you know, that, by through our partnership, qualified agents can quickly um, get on the Lodestar platform, mm-hmm. right? And lenders then know that that closing agent has been vetted. Mm-hmm. They've been vetted against Alta's best practices. Um, their wiring instructions have been validated. Their E&O has been validated and mm-hmm. it's up to date and current and they have a current license. Mm-hmm. And to to have that and not have to basically utilizing you for the, for the LE and the CD, right. On the fee Mm -hmm. side. Um, But they still have to validate or do something with that closing agent. Well, it's right. They have all of that information for the closing agent that they need. And then, Hey, to boot, let's just get their fees set up. So they have everything in our system too. It's just a nice, it's it's a very nice lift to make things easier Yeah, because the vetting process you know, can be substantial. So let's get as much as we can to make things a lot easier 
down the road. For the lenders, right. And we're we're looking at creating a, a low cost mm-hmm. uh, for your clients, a low cost access uh, service for Lodestar clients mm-hmm. so that they can do a search mm-hmm. of an agent um, and, uh, and, and basically see if the agent that has come into the, with a loan into mm-hmm. their offices, um, and you're going to validate the fees for that. They've also been vetted and qualified. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of exciting things that we'll be able to do together. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's all about lenders reducing their costs, yeah. right? How can yeah. they operate more efficiently mm-hmm. and reduce uh, tasks, which some lenders, Jim, are collecting that E&O on every single closing, mm-hmm. okay? Because as you said, it's a daunting task to manage them. Yeah. So you either have a, a lender that's taking it very seriously and they've built their own database of closing agents and you know policies and licenses, but you know then, then they have to manage that because right. you could close a loan today. And this is why a lot of lenders that don't have a system um, or are not using Ditrix. Um, they're collecting that, you know, on every closing, right? And the wiring instructions on every closing. And they have to do it on every closing because if they close a loan three weeks from now from that same closing agent, they don't know when the E&O is going to expire. Mm-hmm. So to see, we're, we're doing all of that behind the scenes so that the E&O is always current. And if there's any change in wiring instructions, they reach out to us, the lender, instead of contacting the closing agent directly or emailing the closing agent. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I mean, I, I think both of our companies, you know, are working with lenders and closing agents. Our goals are quite similar. I think we're trying to mm-hmm. help lenders uh, enable a secure transaction, know your counterparty that you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. mitigate the risk of any mistakes as it relates to the fees. Um, and, uh, and since they have no control over picking that closing agent, I think what, what we can do together for them is just going to create tremendous amount of efficiencies. And you and I, I think we talked to one of your clients about that, mm-hmm. that saw, wouldn't that be great if, if we, could. we did, yeah. We talked to one of our, our mutual clients, and I think yeah. even with a relatively small list, comparatively, they automatically saw the value of, oh, we don't have to deal with this stuff as it changes. We, you know, trust Dietrich to keep account of all of this. We love having the fees in with Lodestar. So let's get them talking to each other and save ourselves right. from some aggravation. Um, one right. of the things we really push at Lodestar is the idea of creating clarity in the process from upfront fee disclosures to you know, knowing valid licensing information uh, to your lender. So I think it's something that's really going to be helpful. I love the idea of having kind of that searchable function, because even if we set up 800 title agents for a medium-sized lender, someone's going to say, hey, my uncle Steve um, is going to close this loan for me. Um, so we need to get them set up, right? And right. then you're able to go into the loan op- law office of whoever and you know, right. make sure that he's in the system. Um, which is going to happen, especially more and more kind of in this, in this purchase market. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. You know, it's, there's a, the pros and the cons, the, pro, yeah. the pros are, yeah, we're, we're seeing an increase in the purchase market. Right. Mm-hmm. But that also poses a lot of risks that you don't necessarily have 
in your refinance transactions. So as a mortgage executive, as someone who has run a large mortgage company, looking at a shift to a purchase market like we're dealing with now, um, how do you view that? How do you feel people are changing right now as that's getting more competitive? I mean, we talked about the fact that you're going to, the vendor approval process is, is going to increase versus a refi market, but how else is that going to affect, you know, your organization looking forward in the next year or so? Well, we, we see the purchase market increase. Well, first of all, we talked about the, all the cybersecurity risks, right? I don't see that going away anytime yeah. soon. I think companies are still dealing with the challenge of getting people back in the office, getting, getting them back to work and, and away from remote mm-hmm. working at home. Um, but so I don't, I don't see the cyber security risks going away. And then you couple that with an increase in the purchase market and the multiple parties in one transaction that are constantly communicating. It's, it's, a, it's a ripe target for a, a cyber attack, right? And, uh, and then, you know, on the other side of it, the industry, and I've seen this in my career, and I'm sure you have too, mm-hmm. uh, we all feed on ourselves, right? So, you know, the, the lenders' volumes were dramatically high over the last year, okay? There's still still a strong market and interest rates are still historically low, but, you know, you're, you're going to see more competition because volumes have dropped and lenders have hired a lot of people. So they're, you know, they're trying to continue either to expand their market share mm. um, to, to keep the volumes high. And uh, when that happens, it's, it's, always, mm. it's always been this way in the industry. Lenders lower their margins to compete and gain market share. Mm-hmm. And, and once that happens, then, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a feeding frenzy. Mm-hmm. It really is a feeding frenzy. And that's when you're going to start seeing, you know, Companies trying to steal loan officers from mm-hmm. from other other companies, right? To, you know the t- that there's companies out there that are working full time on the Scotsman Guide of the top 100 LOs, right? Because you know how do I get them in my shop, right? Mm-hmm. And so then it's it's going to be trying to hire people, people wanting signing bonuses. I mean it yeah. it just all feeds on itself. I've seen it multiple times. I think as an industry. You know, we we should. I've said we shouldn't do it, but we do it, right? So we reduce our margins to be more competitive and gain market share. So, um, but I think at the same time, lenders have to continue to look for digital solutions mm-hmm. that are going to improve their productivity and performance, and ultimately reduce their cost to originate. So, with that margin compression, do you feel like it's just a race to the bottom? amongst lenders, or is there something that does break that cycle? Uh, well, rising rates will break that cycle. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what it, it will take, right? It's, it's going to step back. And, and a lot of things are going to have to happen. You know, lenders that staffed up for, for the huge uh, volumes of production yeah. are going to have to pare back. Um, so it's, it's a combination of digital solutions to reduce your fulfillment costs and improve your cost mm-hmm. to originate. And 
you know, at, at some point you can only reduce your margins so far, right? Mm-hmm. And we've seen, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head right now because I haven't looked at it, but the cost to originate was over $8,000 alone mm-hmm. at, at one point. And then, and then add into it, into the pot, into the mix, mm-hmm. the competition for LOs, right? Yeah. And top like how much of that 8,000 is LO compensation or the sales and marketing expenses? Exactly right. Yeah. So there's a lot of things impacting that. And I think, uh, stay tuned. We'll have to talk about that, you know, mm-hmm. in another, in another six months Yeah, uh, and see how that plays out. One thing I, I sometimes struggle to explain to lenders and never really know what this is going to look like if you know, you try to explain the ROI of your product, right? Like you can save 20 minutes, 30 minutes of file by not asking for EO or verifying fees manually. Um, but what does that actually end up looking like for someone doing, you know, 200 loans a month or 2000 loans a month? Even if, if we're saving a hundred hours, a thousand hours a month, does that mean people get fired? What does that look like with, you know, a dozen person processing team? How do you feel people actually are able to manage time savings. I, I once had someone ask me, yeah, you saved me time, but what's my staff going to do? Just uh, sit on their sit on their hands all day? Well, I could tell you right now, just based on my 30 some years of experience, mm-hmm. okay, that um, the, the, there, I don't want to say there's few, but mm-hmm. if, you, if you talk to a lot of industry leaders um, and, and the, the small to mid-sized market, they really don't know their cost per loan. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and when you've, uh, unless you really dive in and have loan level cost um, in your accounting area, mm-hmm. you, you're, you're not going to be able to manage it. You're just not. And, and you're, you don't know your cost per loan, let alone minutes per file. I mean, right. you, you're, you're in the weeds on that, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of companies just tend to look at that bottom line. And I, I would venture to say to you that even those companies that were very profitable in 20 and 21, mm-hmm. okay, um, if they really start digging down into that cost per loan, they're going to see where they have fat in their, in their mm-hmm. system. So I, I don't know how to answer your question as far as how do you explain that to a lender? Mm-hmm. So um, part of the problem is unless they know the numbers to start with, it's going to mean very little to them of counting, cutting a half hour, cutting an hour. Right. And, and take, for example, what we do for lenders on the closing agent side. Every lender handles it differently. Some lenders have one person doing it. Other people have every closers collecting the e uh, and then finance or treasury yeah. is doing the wire. So, uh, but, but we have had clients say to us, you know, this is amazing. We're, we're saving anywhere from 20 to right. 25 minutes alone. Now, if you're looking at, and I'll, I'll also say to you, if, if you say to lenders, how many loans does a processor process in a month? How many loans can a closer close in a month? How many loans does an underwriter underwrite in a month. Mm-hmm. Um, when you start taking 25 minutes alone and aggregate that over a year, right. now we're able to show lenders that 
by the second quarter, the program pays for itself. Mm -hmm. So, it, and that's what you have. That's, I think that's what you have to um, yeah. try and get across to lenders. Especially if you can then wait to hire that next person for your processing team, you know, that's, that's a huge savings there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I strongly urge lenders to really mm -hmm. at least start to develop a, a, a loan level accounting mm -hmm. um, from a finance perspective to look at it um, because I, I think you're going to see reduced margins mm -hmm. for a little while. And, and I think this is a perfect time for lenders to step back and say, let me, let me look at my costs. Let me look at my productivity numbers. I mean, mm -hmm. if a closer doesn't have to stop and make multiple phone calls to a closing mm -hmm. agent to get an ENO or wiring instructions, could they close? How many loans more could they close in a given month? Right. If, if you take that away from them. So, um, you know, Hey, listen, you can drag the horse to water, but you can't make it. I know, right. They, um, one thing that we see is our version of that is people will have loan officers disclose or pull fees or do things like that versus have a centralized disclosure desk. So now you're having your frontline salespeople do work that is not building a relationship. It's not sales related. These are right. probably some of your more expensive employees with LO comp with all of those sorts of things. So the idea of being able to take anything off that plate. And I think a good frame that I like to express when you're talking about you know, cutting costs and getting more efficient is what is this role's best use, right? What is the best use of your loan officer? Yeah. Is it asking someone their credit score? Um, probably not. Is it disclosing fees from a title agent? Probably not. Is it asking a title agent for their EO insurance? No, it's asking a home buyer. Um, what is, why are you, why are you here? Right. What is, what is the purpose of this refi for you? Um, you know, have you gone through a home buying process before? Let me talk to you about that, right? right. Who, other than your loan officer at your company yeah. is going to be the one expressing those types of things. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to our partnership mm -hmm. for us being able to talk to our clients about mm -hmm. what you can do for them. And the reason I say that is mm -hmm. I have seen many clients who are doing just what you said, having loan officers do the disclosures, okay? Mm -hmm. And then on the back end, there that it's there's four thousand there's money that is going out and and let's get back to loan level accounting okay right. mm -hmm. that there's a there's a penalty of whatever on this loan mm -hmm. where we overdisclosed okay yeah. that now we've got a refund and mm -hmm. but no no one's matching that up we, we when we look at expenses and the cost per loan so. Your service, you know, if, if you're talking about, you know, that kind of a mistake, and I have seen those kinds of mistakes, mm -hmm. uh, or they just didn't disclose, right? That, I mean, your program yeah. would pay for itself. We generally, so, when people find their way to us, you know, they'll say, I didn't know this was something that we could do. Or more often than not, they'll say, we just paid a $5,000 cure on a file. Um, right. which was more than our margin on that file. So right. now we need to come to you or we just added five states and like, we don't know what the fees are. So, um, you know, our goal is as much awareness as you can have to get to people before that point. But it's, 
you know, similar to your end if people don't know that they can have someone else manage this type of stuff. So hopefully right. that will, that will change. And I think part of, you know, it'll be interesting in the industry if you, I feel like it's, it's so often feast or famine, everyone's either really busy with volume and not looking at tools or feel like they're not busy and can't spend money. Right. right. So I, point, I know it is. At, at what point is the sweet spot of the middle of, I don't know, all too often people are coming at you because something broke. And it's not yeah. necessarily being proactive. So no, I don't no. know what you've seen kind of the better lenders do. With uh, that. Uh, you're right on the money. I mean, I, but, but our industry has never been proactive. Okay. Yeah. Even if you, you look at his, historically in our industry, regulation has always had to come into effect mm-hmm. before lenders would do something. Right. And, you know, let's talk about wire fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the RESPA, the rules on RESPA and the fee disclosures, right, mm-hmm. was because consumers were getting hurt. Yeah, you know, and and lenders were not were not liable for it until um, the uh, amendment of RESPA years ago mm-hmm. with the LE and the CD. And all of a sudden, now that's a wake up call for lenders, right? But mm-hmm. they weren't doing anything to check that beforehand. Right. So um, it's the same thing with wire fraud as wire fraud continues to increase. Mm -hmm. You know, we could say the lender is at risk to lose the money, but the consumer is at risk to lose the house. Right. Okay. And and I I think it's only a matter of time before that that does rear its ugly head with the Mm -hmm. regulators to where lenders are going to be mandated to do something in order to protect the consumer. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just because our industry is not proactive. So. Right. Uh, and that's not to say our entire industry, I'm not trying to paint it with a broad brush, but but we've, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I think it's something that we've I've seen for years that, you know, lenders are, are trying to, you know, improve their bottom line, increase their production. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm too busy to talk about that right now, right? right? Yeah, and like you said, and then and then volume drops. Well, I can't afford to do that right. now, and so so then they get to you and they go, "Oh, okay, I need this yesterday." Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. I'm sure you go through that too. Yep, right, yep. constantly. But you know, I, I usually chalk that up to to a good problem to have. Yeah, and we talked a lot about kind of the traditional cycles of the industry, regulation, forcing change, um, margin compression. What things do you see actually changing coming out of COVID? Um, I know a, a big one is always what does conference season look like? What is marketing? What is people coming back to the office look like? Um, do you see that having kind of a long term effect on the industry? I do. I think all I think it's going to have an impact on a lot of industries. I think that um you know, getting on a plane every week to travel to meet customers face to face when we can do a call like this mm-hmm. and maybe have multiple people on the call. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think, I think a lot of companies are going to do that. I, I know myself that uh, I can, I can touch more prospects and customers in a right. given week like this versus getting on a plane. I mean, I can't tell you how many, how many times, I mean, I could go before COVID um, 
Rick and I were in Texas and, and we hit four companies uh, at, in one week. Mm-hmm. But, you know, how many more could I do from my office at home, right? Um, or in the office. And, uh, and I also think that customers and prospects appreciate that mm-hmm. because, you know, it's, they can do it on their time and right. not have to have, you know, someone coming into the office, I think. If they're even uh, in the office in the first place. If they're even in the office. And that's another whole challenge that I think, I don't know, I don't know where that's going to come out, mm-hmm. you know, because there's so much back and forth on the vaccine. And did you have the vaccine? And, yep. you know, and are our employers going to say you have to have the vaccine in order to mm-hmm. come to work? And you've got people that haven't had the vaccine. So I know we have employees that don't want to come into the office mm-hmm. uh, if, if someone doesn't have the vaccine. Yeah. You know, if every employee has to have the vaccine. So I think that's still fluid, Jim. I think that's yeah. going to change. I think conferences, now that's a different story because, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've always gotten a lot of value out of conferences mm-hmm. and, um, where you can meet face to face with people and they're out of the office. So they're relaxed and they can sit and, mm-hmm. and talk to you and, um, you know, not have 20 interruptions or their phone ringing in their office. Right. So, um, and I, you know, it looks like right now national MBA is going to be live mm-hmm. in San Diego. And that's a conference that, you know, I, I think a lot of lenders, um, get a lot of benefit out of. Uh, so, so that's a big one right now. Mm-hmm. That's live. I am speaking at um, the NS3, which is the National Settlement Service mm-hmm. Conference in um, Naples um, in the end of this month. Mm-hmm. And right now that's still live. Yeah. Um, and um, the Eastern NBA uh, Bob Levy's conference is mm-hmm. in October. That's going to be live. Yeah. There's some regional ones down in Maryland we're already signed up for as well. Coming yeah. up in October. I think there's, you know, to your point, there's people who really want to be at conferences, really want to be back in the office and people who don't. Right. So yeah. I think now maintaining that flexibility with hybrid or digital conferences versus in-person um, remote work versus non-remote work. I think that's going to be, um, you know, the kind of the interesting balance going forward. Yeah. Yeah. The challenge is, I mean, it's a moving target right now yeah. with the Delta variant. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I keep, you know, I keep thinking I bought tickets for a concert to see Michael Buble. Mm-hmm. It was August 28th, mm-hmm. bought them in July and the concert got canceled. Yeah. It's got rescheduled. So you know, I think it's going to be one day at a time till we really see where it ends up. But yeah, absolutely. But, but I do think that there's going to be less frivolous travel mm-hmm. to just jump on a plane and fly a coast to coast to visit clients. That's a new world. That's yeah. that's going to change. I I can. I think one thing that's that's interesting to think about with these changing is now as more conferences are virtual more people can go to them too. Right. It's good. And I know one thing that um, is near and dear to your heart. And we talked about last time was your involvement with empower your involvement with women coming into the industry. We talked about the book um, that you contributed to 
um, last time. So, you know, do you think this thing, this makes things harder or easier or both for folks who aren't, you know, the traditional mortgage industry person, namely an older white male coming into the industry? Is this going to be helpful or hurtful um, going forward? I actually see, well, first of all, we've made such great strides mm -hmm. in, in diversity in our industry. I mean, and I, you and I talked about that, yeah. you know, MBA has been on the forefront of that um, with the diversity conference and with Empower. Um, I'm actually speaking on a panel in, if, if the conference takes place. Mm -hmm. Empower starts on Saturday before the national. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm on a panel with Deb Still, who is a former mm -hmm. chairman of MBA, Susan Stewart, myself. And I'm trying to think who's the, Marsha Davies is going to be moderating mm -hmm. it. To talk about women in the industry, really, and our, and our challenges. But, you know, I think, if anything, women have been able to balance more mm -hmm. work and home life. I mean, that's, that's something that traditionally men have not had to do. Mm -hmm. And so I think COVID just really even demonstrated that more, um, mm -hmm. that women can, can carry a lot of balls. And, uh, and I continue to hear there's the, the SEC is, is strongly urging public companies to look for uh, women representation and minorities on their board of directors. So uh, I think we, we it's mm -hmm. it's slow, but it there's progress yeah. being made. I think part of you know to tie this into the awareness point that we were making before of you know people sure want to do the right thing, but when there's a benefit there, um, it makes more sense, right? And I think there's always been a benefit to diversity, but I think people and companies are starting to see it, right? If if your home buyers, if your customers are more diverse, you want to meet them where they are, right? Like you're going to be more effective if you have an employee base that mirrors that. Yes. It's, it's, not, it's not rocket science. It's no, not, it's not. Like, no. You know, tying the, the right thing and, you know, what's actually beneficial. Um, you know, all the people who for years have been screaming, yeah, this makes sense. We're, you know, I want someone who's better at balancing, better at doing these things. Um, you know, I think it's um, definitely, um, hopefully changing and people are realizing that like, there's a reason this is all happening because this is how organizations can be as best as they possibly can. Yeah, um, I agree. I and one, you, one, you, you hit a good point when you talked about your customer. I mean, if you look at the increase in Hispanic, Asian, mm -hmm. and African-American in the purchase market, yeah. okay, having your company mirror your customer right. is really important. I think we talked about that on the last call where yeah. – you know, you could have a a, a, a company that uh, like Samsung that sells refrigerators, okay, or washers and dryers, and I don't know too many men that that's their on their top of the list of things to buy, and they may not have a woman on their board. So yeah. it's mm -hmm. you know I think it's important, right? And people buy from who they're comfortable with, in some cases who they see themselves in. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I, um, yeah. You had made the point about, you know, people realizing what, what women can juggle. And I think a lot of people who used to travel 300 days a year and were at home for a year and a half started to realize things very quickly. Um, I had a, um, 
a colleague of mine who she was traveling for work before COVID um, and she typically does the school drop-offs for her daughter and her husband to handle what he, what she would do on a normal day, took a day off work for a mental health day. day. That's my normal work day. What the hell, man? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Well, um, yeah. It, it's right. it's good to hear a, a gentleman like yourself recognize that. So. Yeah, so it's you know you got you got to laugh a little bit, but it's you know hopefully that awareness across the board is slowly but surely increasing. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah, well, you know, always a pleasure to have you. Very excited about the partnership. Is there anything else you you want to mention that we 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 didn't quite get to here, or where people can find? No, you? I I think we covered a lot of ground, Jim. I really yeah. do. We and always I, do. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to, to be on your podcast for a second time. Yeah. And I'm really excited about the partnership. I yep. think together we're going to be able to do a lot for lenders. In- oh, absolutely. Well, excited to roll it out and uh, keep on going into 2022. Yes, exactly. Thank you so much, Regina. You're welcome. Take care, Jim. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Lodestar's Landing Leaders. I'd like to give a special thanks to Brian Rieger and Elena Gardner who help us create this podcast every week. Please remember to like and subscribe the podcast wherever you listen to it. It helps us a lot. Thanks. Talk to you next week.